Greetings, heroes of the internet. I'm Nathan. And I'm Jack, also known as G. And I'm JR. And this is Henshin Men, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. In this installment, we will be discussing Ultraman Zero side story, Killer the Beat Star. Stage 1, Steel Invasion. Members of both Ultimate Force Zero and Zap Space converge on a massive artificial sphere on a collision course with a populated planet. There they meet the captured princess Imarana and a bowed troop of powerful giant robots commanded by a mysterious leader hell-bent on wiping out all organic life on the universe. Hello, everybody, and hello again to my guests, <laughs> Jack and JR. At least he's always going to be Jack to me, but <laughs> Jack G Man. <laughs> Pick a name. <laughs> I mean, I just call him G, so <laughs> it's easier that way. <laughs> I've got I've got too many friends with initials, so yeah, including yourself. Uh, G, it is. <laughs> Yes. He should have been around the time we had a vacation with GJ, JR, and JJ. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that must have been a tiny bit confusing. But in case anyone is wondering why I have guests on again this week, once again, Travis still needed some time off. So I wanted to make sure that in his absence, you all still had some episodes to listen to. And I figured, hey, I had Jack and JR once before, Jack and JR from the Drift Space, I might add, to talk about some Ultraman Zero. So I decided, hey, there's another Ultraman Zero special. I should bring them on and we should finish this duology. Is it really a duology? Eh. Well, since there's four episodes, wouldn't it be a quadrilogy? Is that, quadrilogy? That's Except I'm just thinking quadrilogy. of the... I'm just thinking of... <laughs> Uh, you're th- are you talking about the weird word that the Alien franchise made up when yeah, they, when they yeah, put out their massive nice. DVD set years ago? <laughs> the quadrilogy. Yes. Like, what if it had five movies? Would they call it a pentology? Uh, a quintilogy? <laughs> it was just, uh, can we just stick with the Alien legacy and not have to worry about <laughs> Anyway. Anyway, I figured, hey, let's bring them on and we'll finish... The second special, Killer the Beat Star, because Mill Creek ain't changing no Japanese translation at all, so we're just going to translate it literally and make it sound like the coolest DJ name ever. (laughs) DJ Killer the Beat Star. (laughs) I'm still still very sad JR didn't rap that entire synopsis. I tried to convince him. I'm actually going to change my name on the drift space now, too. Or the beat star. <laughs> After you talk about uh, coronary capitalism, and <laughs> the court, yeah. Oh gosh! All right, so we got the official name for Jr. Now is now coronary coronary beat star capitalist. 
The killer. The killer. <laughs> anyway. It was good for nothing. <laughs> anyway, inside jokes aside. So, so this was the second of these Ultraman Zero specials that if you get the Ultraman Zero collection from Mill Creek, the, it's the, like I said, it's the second of the two. The first one that we talked about a few months ago was a tie-in with The Revenge of Belial. This one is a tie-in with Ultraman Saga, if I remember correctly. And you do have to do at least a little bit of homework. The The first one was relatively self-contained, other than the fact that there are characters from Ultra Galaxy. This one requires a little bit more homework because it assumes you've seen Revenge of Belial. <laughs> Which JR had not. Yeah, I actually had to do this homework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we watched Revenge of Belial and Killer the Beatstar before this cast. And, you know, Revenge of Belial is fantastic. Just, I, in my opinion, it is the last great Ultraman movie. We'll see if that changes. I will agree. Here. Killer the Beat Star. I hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's put it this way. I, I, the, the last time I watched this was about ten years ago, and I really didn't remember much about it except that I wasn't particularly rocked out by it. So when me and Jr. started watching it last night, I was really excited that you know the Ultra franchise was taking it upon themselves to do a sequel to the Star Trek Next Generation episode Relics. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. I, I was wondering if you did. <laughs> oh, I did. How right could I not? Of, <laughs> right out of the gate, Jean Bot is being yanked into this giant metal sphere, which was shot very evocative of the Next Generation episode. Mm, which had add. a Dyson sphere. For those who don't yeah. know, the episode we're talking about, like he said, is called Relics, and it's noteworthy for a couple of things. One, it has a Dyson sphere, which, mm-hmm. if you do a little bit of digging, is kind of funny. I think at the time when the episode was made, the Dyson Sphere was actually considered to be a legitimate and interesting theory. It, But the, then yes. it came out later that the guy who came up with the theory said, I came up with that as a joke. What are you doing? Because <laughs> 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 it's preposterous. The idea being you have this massive, spherical, artificial structure basically a death star on more steroids than a professional wrestler (laughs) and it can encompass an entire star and use a star as basically as its core and in that episode of next gen it's also noteworthy because james duhan came back as scotty from scotty the original series so that was exciting and then there's all so, these shenanigans that happen with this Dyson sphere that they find, and Scotty saves the ship and all that fun stuff. Yeah, and I, it was it really jumped out of me when I was rewatching it because I, I didn't really remember much from Beat Star. It's been ten years, whatever. So I'm like, is this a Dyson sphere? No, and then you later said it out on, loud. Later on, we see the inside is this you know where this dead civilization resides with an artificial sun, and I'm like it is a Dyson sphere. Mm-hmm. And and I was thinking, how cool is it that Subaraya is tackling something as hypothetical that, that used to straddle the line between science fact and science fiction? Today, not so much. <laughs> but, but then they do nothing with it. 
and I got to say, 10 years away from the story only hurt it. And it definitely hurts coming from coming after Revenge of Belial. And granted, Revenge of Belial was a full-blown theatrical film. And again, mm-hmm. by my estimation, the last truly excellent Ultraman movie to date. But Ultra Galaxy was a great film as well. And it was followed up with the Dark Clop Zero special, which was fantastic. I, I, I love the Dark Clop Zero special. And, and what makes matters worse is Beat Star was directed by Yuichi Abe, who not only directed Revenge of Belial, but was the showrunner for my favorite Ultra series, Ultraman Nexus. Mm. And he, he also directed some of my favorite Ultraman X episodes. And after what I just revealed, take a stab at which episode that might be. So <laughs> I'm looking at this and I'm trying to think, you know, what happened between Revenge of Belial and this? And I have, I have two potential explanations. St- st- stick with me for a second here. Gotcha. One is that Abe did not write this. He wrote Revenge of Belial. He, of course, had a major hand in the story of, of Nexus, but he did not write this. This was written by uh, Kenichi Iraki, who has a solid resume, really. And he's written episodes for, for Tokusatsu all the way back to Kamen Rider Black and Zhu Ranger. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the episodes of, say, Zhu Ranger that he did, that's where you start going, oh, well, we can't all be winners. And, <laughs> you know, he also wrote the Ultra Galaxy show, which I spoke of my displeasure with that slug of series last time. And this special, while, you know, better than just about every episode in Ultra Galaxy, still feels slow and lacks urgency. And which is interesting point, because we have a ticking clock in this one. Uh, exactly. Because right. you know, you it know. starts off with the sphere because the, the sphere is heading toward a populated planet and it's going to collide mm-hmm. with it in two hours. Right. And that's it's in part Ball one. And then to jump ahead a little bit, at the start of part two, they say we have 30 minutes. So we got to take care of this fast. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it's, out. It's, is, is it something in Tokusatsu where like when the world is going in, sometimes this happens so often, they just don't care. Cause I'm thinking of Godzilla versus Destroya as well. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a ticking clock. Godzilla's going to blow. He's going to take all of us with him. And yet here's, you know, traffic just, you know, minding its own business, kind of <laughs> going by, you know, Destroya dragging I mean, Godzilla are- down a runway while an airplane, you know, taxis by. I'm like, it's just... You're talking tokusatsu. You're talking tokusatsu. I'm talking anime. How about Namek? Namek will explode in five I was. That was exactly where I was going because I'm like, okay, I know you guys love Dragon Ball Z, but don't get me started on how the anime, at the very least, has the most horrible concept of TV time ever where one minute passes over the course of one episode okay if the maybe you're adapting this exactly from the comic (laughs) but with a comic you have much less of a sense of of the passage of time but anyway we're not here to talk dragon ball z (laughs) despite the fact that ultraman zero continues to prove that he is the toku shonen (laughs) yeah yeah especially here especially here uh the the other thing is and I, I was reminded of something a friend told me years ago about Yuichi Abe. He said, and I quote, Abe is fantastic as long as he has a budget. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kind of okay, I kind of take issue with that because Nexus 
was so much cheaper than the shows that have come after. And yet it was great, right? But post-Nexus, he might have a point. Is he Okay, he, he did some great episodes with Ultraman Mebius and Ultraman X. He even did the Galactatron episodes in Ultraman Orb. And having good episodes in Orb is borderline impossible. So <laughs> <laughs> Revenge of uh, Belial is the last Ultra movie that feels like an actual movie. But then, you know, all of those had money behind them. And mm-hmm. Abe also did episodes for Ultra Galaxy, and he was the showrunner for Ultraman Ginga. And those two shows had notably putrid budgets. So, you know, that's something to think about. But what really hurts is just how the show gets out of the gates with such a fascinating idea and then doesn't explore any of it. Well, they... that's more for our discussion of part two in this, but it goes places with it, but not where you would probably want it to go. It really just is this super cool setting. I see where you're coming from. Okay, well then let's let's just look at this episode and what it doesn't do. (laughs) I I think the idea of a Dyson Sphere is probably something, say, the Shoah Guard, would have had a, a great time exploring had they had the budget and means to do so. You know, if you, if you take the show of filmmakers, they would have, they, they leaned a little more into the mystery of the Ultra series, right? Mm-hmm. And these days it's more about who can punch who the hardest, which is fine. I, I enjoy the, the Ultra series as it well, is Well, right except now. I would tell you, I think that shift started to happen in the 70s though. Once you got to yeah. Ultraman Ace, they started Ace. ditching the mystery aspects and emphasizing the superhero stuff more because they were yeah. competing with Common Rider. But at the same time, like into Leo, you still have those shows that that explored the more kind of science, like hard science fiction aspect uh, of, of ideas they're introducing. And and we don't really get that much anymore. But OK, so they're in a Dyson sphere. All right. So they they land in a dark portion of the setting, this interesting setting, just so they can be shrouded in smoke and darkness from the background. And, you know, the fact that they're trying to save a budget here is very transparent. And then the fights, you know, they're fighting in a very (laughs) vanilla looking setting. And the fights were shot too long, too sluggish. And I often felt like the camera was hanging on to certain subjects for too long as well. There was just too much dead air, Thank and you. the action wasn't ex- wasn't as exciting as you know previous zero entries, and certainly not exciting enough to hang on to that for that length. Uh, you say that uh, despite all of, uh, especially a part one, it just seemed like there were lots of crotch shots in this, either shots to the crotch or shots from the crotch. Well, I- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they have to keep me awake somehow, I guess. I just say we got robots firing lasers from what appears to be their crotch. We have Gomorrah going straight up to one of the robots, goring it in the crotch and throwing it over its head. I mean... I... I don't know. There, there was something about it. Like they didn't, maybe I, I felt like it, it needed more cuts, more editing involved, but it just went on too long. I thought 
And, and there was just for a cast this few with so little to do. I don't know if this is few. We have characters from all over the place. We have Zero. We have all of his new friends from Revenge of Belial. We have Glenn. Was it Glenfire? Mirror Knight? Jean Bot? Jean Bot. Jean Bot. And then we have. Oh, and the princess, uh, whose name apparently changed between movies. We're still trying to figure that out. (laughs) Yeah. Because in one, is it Esmeralda? It's Amarana of Esmeralda. Yeah, uh, yeah, Lord A. Yeah, it's like, how does she get this very French name? I think she's from Planet Esmeralda. I think that's yeah, yeah. But anyway, so and and then we have Ray and Huga from Ultra Galaxy. So we have characters from two basically from two different things all converging together, which. On one hand, is actually kind of exciting, I have to say. But I see where you're coming from, though. It's uh, funny that I you say it. the cast is few, but I'm like, there's a lot of characters in this. But well, I guess there's I, a. Just go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 well, no. I was going to say there's a lot of characters, but this is definitely one of those movies that requires you to uh, do your homework to understand where all these characters are coming from. This is the beginning stages of the MCU, let's be honest. I mean, uh, the ultra MCU. You gotta, you gotta see Iron Man to understand who Black Widow is, and you gotta see Black Widow to understand. I mean, but for having so many characters, it feels like the, the plot kind of gets lost on itself because we have so many characters, and yet they're just kind of there. Like, uh, you don't yeah. really see. You don't really see uh, the the zap cast all that often. You see you see the princess more than you see the zap cast, and okay. then you got you mm-hmm. got. I do. Th- uh, I it did feel a little bit. I think the having the zap members there, I think, was once again an effort to ground the story and kind of and give the audience, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, a you know a, a surrogate, which was part of the purpose that they served in the previous special, but. It does feel a little bit more superfluous, I will admit, in this one compared to that first one because they mm. there's not really any major progression made to those characters. The princess right. gets some progression. The other heroes get some stuff to do. Zero is the big star, and he gets challenged, obviously, by the villain in this one. And it, the big purpose they serve is that those who are not in the sphere with all the heroes are trying to evacuate the planet the, that the sphere is about to collide with. So that's, and then they really blow up how huge a thing this is, where well, it's like, I mean, oh, it's not just one planet that we need to save. Beatstar wants to wipe out all organic life. So we got big stakes well, again not, in this I'm little not. special. I'm not saying, you know, this entire Zapcast. Let's just narrow it down to uh, Boss and Ray, you mm-hmm. know, because even in Dark Ops Zero, Ray had some major development with his other dimensional self. Mm-hmm. You know, we got some we got some conflict there with those two. Mm-hmm. But here they're really just, hey, guys, <laughs> how's it going? Remember us from Ra Ra yeah. <laughs> Kick him in the knee. Ra Ra Ra. <laughs> Kick him in the other knee. I mean, <laughs> they, they do nothing. 
They really they do. do nothing. They're they're this is their last appearance in the Ultra franchise, and man, what a send off! Their their characters could have been removed from the entire special, and the outcome would have been exactly the same. It, it, it feels like the producers said, "Well, we need other characters for Princess Imarana to to interact with, uh, so let's throw those Zap guys in," and and they do nothing of great consequence. It, it's to me the special has a hard time justifying the need for two episodes anyway, because the majority of the first episode is just a lot of sluggish fighting. And for most of those fights, we don't even know why the battle is taking place. And but I think that was, like, uh, that was part of the point there. And I think the fact that they well, were sluggish, they gave a justification for it because they're like, the mist, the mist. I'm like, oh, it's the Stephen King effect. I get it. But uh, <laughs> no, I felt like, I felt like the battles, regardless of the mist, which was never really explained, you know, the mist was taking away their powers, but, you know, why, why did Zero keep there? his powers? Yeah, why did Zero's powers seem to function okay? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah there. Yeah. well, I think it's because the mist was dissipating, but they also, I this was at a point where I think they're starting to realize, well, we're giving Zero too many power-ups, but... You know, we're going to keep giving him power-ups, so we're like, okay, you'll get, you get to see the Aegis armor... For a whopping five seconds, and then we're going to take it away because we don't want this to be too easy for Zero. It's Well, and I'm glad they established that the Aegis armor is something that, you know, as soon as he travels to a new universe, it needs to be recharged. I was glad they wrote that in because it is too powerful. You know, this was given to him <laughs> by Noah. Uh, it, they they got to nerf him a little bit. But what I meant by like a cast this few, I, I literally meant more the the human cast, mm-hmm. really, you know, and 66% of them don't do anything. And a lot of this yeah. could have just been resolved in, in one 30 minute segment, I think. There's not enough here to justify what we're watching. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say I do think I, I, that minimalist environment, I do think has some good atmosphere to it. I can see what you're talking about with this. And I do feel like the second half is the stronger of the two with this special, for sure. The first part is a lot of, like you said, a lot of fighting. But I think that was, again, I'm guessing maybe in the filmmakers' heads, it was their justification was that it's uh, nobody knows where they are. It's very mysterious. We don't know what's going on or what is running this thing or the motivations or what's going. They're in this alien environment and they're just being accosted by a bunch of <laughs> member Barry robot monsters because they're all because <laughs> they're all returned. I only recognize two of them because I haven't watched enough. Well, I haven't watched enough Heisei Ultraman to to know. But, you know, mm-hmm. Ace Killer is one of them. King Joe is one of them. And then I know right. the other two that show up, I think are one is from Mebius and one is from, I can't remember what it was. Uh, oh, no, I think it's from Rever- Revenge of Belial, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, yeah, the The drill, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's from Revenge of Belial. Yeah, so, so I should have recognized that one. But I've only seen Revenge of Belial once. So, Yeah. And you know it was, and it's going. It's uh, like very similar to the previous special. There's a big deal made about robots and AI in this, and it goes to some. Oh, sli- admittedly, goes to some slightly different places with it. Yeah, I, a very conventional place, but I guess that goes into the the second episode here. Yeah, that goes more into the second episode. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the music. Uh, we, uh, the music feels very different in this. <laughs> that's all right. 
That was the first thing I said. Uh, you know, I was like, you know, really, when I'm thinking of Ultraman and all the excitement, I really want some smooth jazz. I was going to say, uh, when we... Now I do I do like when the we're talking about you know the how the the zap characters feel a bit superfluous. I actually did enjoy when they first go into the sphere and the Yoko Kano Cowboy Bebop jazz starts playing. <laughs> Like this is Cowboy Bebop. Seriously, exactly this is what I said. And I just rewatched the anime recently, so it's very fresh in my head. <laughs> I did enjoy that. It's almost you may think me weird for saying this, Jack, but it's it reminds me a little bit of the Star Trek the Motion Picture, where they're just going to like, oh my gosh, what is this? You know, this massive construct, and they're just looking at everything that's there. Thank God it doesn't go on for. <laughs> three hours but <laughs> well, uh, maybe maybe that's what the scene was missing was jazz <laughs> star trek the motion picture just needed some smooth yes, japanese jazz some smooth jazz <laughs> uh yeah, that took a little getting used to i have to admit i can't think of another ultraman anything with a soundtrack like this well i looked up the composer Fumio Hara, he also did Ultraman Saga. Now, I don't recall the music in Ultraman Saga, so I'm going to have to go back there. I mean, JR and I have already plowed through the majority of the Zero Saga. We might as well wrap this up with Saga, but I don't recall. I've seen Saga. Saga is odd. (laughs) It almost doesn't. I know it's in the Ultraman Zero collection, but it almost isn't an Ultraman Zero movie. I consider it part of the trilogy, definitely. But it's... But that's another topic. <laughs> it's another topic. I, I blame that movie for the state of the Ultraman film franchise as it is today. But I also don't think it's that bad. But yeah, I'll, I'll have to go back and revisit that movie and see if he does kind of the same Yoko Kano kind of <laughs> inspired. Because, I, I mean, you're, you're thinking Star Trek. I'm thinking of just those moments of, you know, Spike flying on his uh, swordfish. Oh, yeah window as some other ship is going down and you know it's a big action scene but there's almost this kind of like smooth it's the uh, first episode of the anime yeah is it the first episode where yeah yeah where where she's like looking out the window and she's like i'm sorry spike and then she blows up Mm -hmm. yeah the the, their first bounties on the show yeah Mm -hmm. they're they're smuggling all the red eye Mm -hmm. it was interesting how i had a symbol uh similar sort of somber feeling here when they're entering the ship because that music did a lot for me, which is weird because the opening music did nothing for me <laughs> at all. Because it's like a Yamaha keyboard going off or something. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, dear. You better at least use the Ultraman Zero theme and do it correctly, which they did. Mm-hmm. They did. Mm-hmm. But, ah, uh, whew. Huh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah but uh, we should probably park a little bit with the new characters that we get from revenge of belial so these are i don't they're from what i remember they're not ultras but they're very similar to ultras so we have glenn fire who literally has fire for hair and if awesome yeah he is actually and if you thought if you thought Zero, when he started, was impulsive and cocky. This guy makes Zero look positively sagely by comparison. You know, you know who's uh, Glenfire reminds me of? Who? If you made the Hades villain 
from Hercules a good guy? That's who he did. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, in terms of look and attitude. And so he's yeah. cocky, but he's he's a good guy. He's just cocky about it. He likes to show off. He also likes he's apparently a professional wrestler because all of his big finishing moves are wrestling moves. <laughs> He pile drives monsters. It's kind of wacky. <laughs> and then we have Mirror Knight, who is a very obvious reference to another Tsuburaya Toku mm-hmm. hero, Mirror Man, which my brother Jared and I have been watching because they've been posting, the uh, Tsuburaya has been posting episodes of Mirror Man, which was an early 70s Toku hero show that they made on their YouTube channel. And it's been very interesting, but it's not the same character. At least I don't think it's supposed to be the same character, but they're very similar. Not the same character. There's, I think they're of the same race. Yeah. Well, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because mirror man is not an alien for what I remember. I know, Uh, but there's been some retconning from what I understand in like other media, supposedly. Yeah, I, have, I actually haven't done the research. Yeah, but he's basically the polar opposite of Glenn Fire. He's a more even keeled, more, uh, a I don't know, uh, n- noble is not the word I'm looking for. He's more of a, I guess, refined character by comparison to Glenn Fire. I don't know. I got some nobility off of him. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have Jean Bot who. Was introduced and in, also were introduced in Revenge of Belly, but he gets a whole origin story, <laughs> and it's a little bit complicated. In from Revenge of Belial, there's a whole to do about him, but he also becomes the template for one of the quote unquote new villains in this, which is Jean Killer. So we've got it's his, so it's like Ace Killer, but for him, basically it's the evil twin trope. Yeah. Yay for evil twin trope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't we all love the evil twin trope? (laughs) Oh, look, it's Darkling. Yeah, (laughs) it's Negaduck. It's lore. Uh, Lore, yeah. (laughs) More Star Trek connections. There you go, the evil twin. Oh, boy. (laughs) Evil. It's Reverse Flash. Yeah, Reverse Flash. Yeah, although that's the same and yet not. But... (laughs) so we have that now well, i will say because yeah. that's the whole thing beat star is making an army of robots so it was their excuse to be like hey we have robot villains that we can use people will remember these <laughs> <laughs> i'm still relevant <laughs> yeah let's go get all the robots and you know yeah. we're oh we won't use king joe that much after this not at all not at all no, this was a case of Subaraya going, oh, I guess the, our, our King Joe toy sales are down. We got to. <laughs> and this is before the Bandai mandates. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I still think the Bandai mandates would be a great band name. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> we are the Bandai mandates. No, we get sued. <laughs> I was going to say, can we get funding behind that? Yeah. And then Jean Killer becomes a big to-do later on. We get hints of it here, but then it becomes a big to-do in part two. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I have mixed I'm a, I have mixed feelings about how Jean Killer is used in the next one. <laughs> See, I'm so curious. Let's move on then. Well, no, I do want to mention a couple more quick things. 
Zero had one of the weirdest lines that I've ever heard him say in this, in part one, which is, I'm about to black hole that thing. Okay. <laughs> I noticed that. I noticed that. And I thought about using it as my favorite line just because I was so mesmerized by it. Uh, what What is that supposed to mean? I, what, I, what, I, that? I, I don't. I thought I read it wrong until you I, said it. <laughs> I, I thought I read it wrong too. Like, wait a minute. I actually backed up the rewound. I'm like, no, that's what the subtitle says. So unless that's a typo in the subtitle, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> yeah, I, hmm. uh, oh, yeah. I also that should say uh, Glenn Fire must have played Street Fighter because I swear all of his moves are from Street Fighter. He's freaking Ken Masters. <laughs> I also <laughs> just wrote this is not what Zero said. But I just thought, like, this. I bet this went through his head. He sees King Joe and he says, my dad taught me how to kill you, King Joe. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, uh, oh, uh, it would have been nice to make that connection. That would have been uh, actually pretty nice because he is one of his dad's villains, and Dang King Lord, Joe yeah. about murdered his father. <laughs> oh, mm -hmm. but uh, now, what do you think? I do want to talk about this. We're talking about the sluggishness of the fights. What about that slow mo black and white sequence when Zero tries to go after John Killer and he just throws him aside like he's nothing? Oh, the borderline anime segments here. Yeah. Sometimes I like these things, sometimes I don't. Here, I don't think it matched the fights going on. Mm. I think the idea was that they wanted to convey Jean Killer was was able to read Zero's next move. Mm -hmm. And it, it you know, like most things, Toku, it was over the top, but it felt it felt much too high for the battle I had been watching. Oh, okay. Sense. Okay. Uh, for me, it was a high point, but <laughs> it, it, I feel I like maybe I can if there see... was more kinetic energy going on in these fights. It might've cut a little bit better, but it, it didn't quite land where I thought they wanted it to. Was that a was that an unintentional pun? Do I need to hit the the rim <laughs> shot there? It didn't land for you. That's eh, not worth I it. I mean, <laughs> I can see what Jack Jack is saying because, like, you know, they I, I see this mostly in anime when somebody's like so overpowered and they get like boned and everybody has the reaction shot of what, like, <laughs> which I think happened in this. <laughs> somewhere <laughs> i don't know it would have it would have made more sense if we because we got some like pov shots of uh jean killer of like analyzing it would have made more sense if we got oh yeah like that uh his uh his terminator vision yeah <laughs> select, option. <laughs> select option select option punch and zero gosh. in face <laughs> Like it would have made more sense if we saw like a Terminator vision of him like dodging or something like that. Like, wow, yeah, select your move, dodge. <laughs> it just get, scrolls down to all the different options. <laughs> Terminator style. <laughs> the only thing that would have made it better is after he threw zero off to the side. He said, "F you a hole." <laughs> <laughs> okay. All I right, you do get a sort of Terminator vision with him though. <laughs> Yeah, we were talking you about your clothes, that. Your sunglasses yeah. and your motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> like Give me your Agus <laughs> armor. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not charged yet. <laughs> you will suck. <laughs> uh, I think back. we. <laughs> we need to move on to part two. I, we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We do. Stage two, vows of justice. With the sphere barreling toward planet Burham, Ultraman Zero and the other heroes desperately battle robot legions. Imarana appeals to both Jean-Bot and Jean-Killer's better natures in the desperate hope she can free them from the AI's influence. This culminates with Zero confronting Beatstar for a final showdown. Alrighty, so I mentioned in our previous segment that I do think part two is the stronger of the two, yes. and yes. it sounds like you agree with me. I mean, it's not like the bar was high. No. But <laughs> but the, I, I think more is happening in this episode that honestly could have taken up space in the prior episode, but here we are. Mm-hmm. So. Now our Zap characters still don't really get anything to do, but nope. we're, because basically all the movers and shakers are everybody but them, and the characters dealing with a lot of the consequences from part one. Now, it starts off actually very strong with Emirana basically putting herself between <laughs> the mind-controlled Jean-Bot's massive axe one of the other characters and he stops <laughs> yeah but that's fine i get that you know we, we we get these little moments in in tokusatsu where you know the heart wins over and <laughs> that was okay yeah do we do we do we want to talk about how the power of friendship comes into play <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll get there. <laughs> I have thoughts. <laughs> one thought one thought I'm actually happy about here, and it, it really just speaks to how useless Zap is in this, is that Imarana gets all the big moments here in terms of our, our humanoid characters, right? She, you know, gets in between Jean Bot and Litra. She <clears throat> does something later on and <laughs> you know she she gets the big moments that that saves face essentially and i'm really happy about that actually i think i think it was great that she was the one that essentially turns the tide for a lot of this and it, it makes me think you know were the zap characters just inserted into the story not only to give her someone else to talk to but essentially to make sure that the boys were still watching. Maybe. I, I mean, think about it. You know, I, 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 how many young dudes are going to turn in to a Disney princess essentially starring in the, their Ultraman franchise? <laughs> Despite the fact that apparently Zero is crushing on her a little bit, which they bring up briefly, and I still think it's weird. I, it's a continuation of a thread from... Belial, but at what point? Where where did you read this? Uh, they said they were te- the other heroes were teasing him at the beginning of the special when they were flying oh, around the sphere. Like, oh, you want to go shoot the princess? I completely missed that. That's funny. Yeah, I like that. Okay, right. and then I think they, I think he gets brought up again very briefly later. But 
That's yeah. funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what was going on. They were originally going to meet the princess on her planet, and then they mm-hmm. found out that this big machine came and kidnapped her, so they were racing to go find it so they could rescue her, and then they're like, oh, it's a sphere. <laughs> so that was their whole reason for being there. Their reason for being there was to save her. Zap's mm-hmm. reason for being there was because the thing's going to collide with a planet. <laughs> Which is really a vacation problem. planet. Yeah, vacation. <laughs> I'll bring that up in my awards. <laughs> that Riza only has 20 million people. Was that the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also thinking of. Uh, I was also thinking of the t- uh, TOS episode Shore Leave, but. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so. So we, we. So I think it's a pretty strong start at the beginning. And it deepens mm-hmm. a little bit of the mystery. Uh, I think, I'm trying to remember if it was this one or part one where we first hear the name Beatstar. It was part one. It was a part one because before. Because they, they kind of gave a villain re- uh, reveal in part one and he did say Beatstar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was just trying to remember because Beatstar, up until you get to his last scene where th- we actually get more insight into him, he's very mysterious, almost Lovecraftian because that sphere is really, they do surprisingly, I do think they do communicate the size of that thing pretty well. I mean, there's even another one of these little illustrations where they're like, it could collide with a planet and destroy it. And they act, so they're really showing how huge it is. Mm -hmm. And when you, when it collides with that, in that hypothetical sequence where it's colliding with that planet, they actually put in little screams. So I'm like, okay, that's actually making this seem pretty terrifying i gotta give you credit there <laughs> but i don't know why it when it when it came to beat star i don't know why i thought this but for some reason i thought cell from dragon ball z if we're, we're going to make another dragon ball reference here <laughs> and, and the only reason i thought this was because of his mission and his endless search to end all organic life which now the ultra man franchise has established organic life is prevalent in multiverses, mm-hmm. endless multiverses, and it was it was suggested at one point that Cell from Dragon Ball, because he had Frieza's DNA in him, he would constantly be destroying the universe, but he would also be in an endless search for perfection, because he was perfect Cell, mm. and so once everything was destroyed, and there was nothing else to seek in order to gain perfection he may have ended up destroying himself and so as beatstar is hopping from multiverse to multiverse taking out organic life you know where does it end it's almost this nihilistic pursuit that he has Mm -hmm. just as much as it is a multiversal ending to ourselves and anything else organic Mm -hmm. when he actually reveals what his whole deal is. Because before that, like I said, he seemed very Lovecraftian. He's just going around Mm -hmm. destroying things because he's a machine and that which is not machine must be destroyed. And it feels very Star Trekian to me where it's, especially TOS, this seems like a very TOS thing to do, where he was an AI made by a race that had been invaded by aliens from somewhere else in the multiverse. They Mm -hmm. escaped they made the sphere so they could have a new place to live because their world was destroyed by the invaders. And then they made mm. Beatstar as this 
AI to maintain order on the sphere. Well, yeah, he was he was like a chief security program. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah. then the problem was was that the people living on the sphere despite surviving the invasion, they started warring amongst themselves on the sphere, so he wiped them all out to maintain order. And then order. after that decided that organic life forms are far too chaotic. I must bring order to the universe. So I mm-hmm. and to do that, I must wipe out organic life. Like I said, it sounds like a very Star Trekian thing to do. Mm-hmm. The problem is that it's also the sort of story that we've seen a lot. <laughs> I was going to say this. Uh, I mean, it, it goes past Star Trek. It goes into general robot behavior to begin. Yeah, with. it's a, it's mean, the tried times? and true reason why humans fear AI. It goes back to the Terminator and just so many other things where we're just like the AI is going to turn right. on us. It is going to deem us imperfect. You know, it's like Nomad. Remember Nomad from TOS? You know, you know anything that wasn't perfect, he would destroy. It's a very tried and true thing. The machine only you know, has a certain understanding, but it doesn't have a full understanding. Well, I'm, I mean, you're talking TOS. I'm thinking iRobot. iRobot, yeah. yeah. iRobot, yeah. The Matrix. I mean, we could go on. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, when you dive deep into it, you think about how nihilistic that sounds because once he creates order in the universe – what is the next little blip on his radar that he's going to register as a discrepancy to order? And then, but if, if all organic life is done for, that would only leave machines, mm-hmm. right? And, and it, so it's, it's interesting to think about it in that way, but on a surface level, essentially beat stars just Skynet. Yeah. And that's a little disappointing It is, although, I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit. I have to say, because I've watched this special twice now, and both times I was surprised by how they, at the very last moment, threw in a bit of pathos for Beatstar. Before that, he was just a purely logic-driven evil machine. But then, right before the moment of his death, it's almost like he's having this epiphany, and he starts talking about how my existence was supposed to bring order. It was supposed to bring order. I'm scared. And then he, you know, it's always like he's talking about like all the way back to when he was maintaining order in the first place because of the invaders and everything. He did everything out of fear and then he dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, that's actually really interesting. It, it <laughs> added a whole different layer to everything I had sat through. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, up to that point, I was kind of like, eh, "All right, they're going to beat, they're going to beat Skynet." We we know how this goes, but when he said that line, I was very impressed with what I felt was kind of an unearned outcome. Uh, A bit, <laughs> but I, it, it was it was fascinating that they did at least add that that layer to it. Mm-hmm. When the you know, before that. I mean, you're talking about how it's such it's this nihilistic pursuit and before this is a, as anti-nihilism as you can get but the ultra franchise tip is very anti-nihilism because mm-hmm. that was the whole point with zero was just talking back to him all the time and just like yeah we're imperfect but we're always trying to be better that was basically what it boiled down to but beat not gonna listen obviously no 
So, uh, by the way, just a fun fact. The second time around, I kept thinking, it's like, why this beat star from something else? Because he looks familiar. Yes and no. <laughs> the character is original to this, but he's a redone suit from another the Ultra suit movie. suit is not. Yeah, I read that. Too. Yeah, uh, he's, a re- he's a redone version of Death Facer, which is a crazy <laughs> cool name from, I think it was, uh, was it um, Warriors of the Star of Light? I think it's that one. And it, it, he was supposed to make another appearance as just another, you know, robot. Henchman robot minion. Yeah. In this special, but they just repurposed an old suit. Yeah. I, which, uh, I, which I have to say, I actually like the design of Beatstar. I love that, you know, he's this massive thing, broad shoulders, big pointed head, but there's nothing. There's literally nothing in the helmet. It is this empty space because he's empty. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about nihilism. It's this very empty philosophy. So he's hollow. Mm-hmm. No, no, I I agree. I I did like the design. I did like that he was sort of faceless. Mm-hmm. Said a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we we need to talk about the power of friendship. This is the part where we talk about the power okay. of friendship because we get the middle portion of this <laughs> is them. Dealing with Jean Killer after Jean Bot basically shuts, burns himself out because he's like, I don't want to hurt the princess. I nearly killed the princess. I'm a horrible, horrible being. Punish me, princess. And there's a little bit of a talk about sin and forgiveness, which I thought was very that, nice. That sounded and, way too wrong, Nathan. <laughs> what? That, that sounded way too wrong. <laughs> Punish me, princess. <laughs> Take it however you want. But. <laughs> Burn me! <laughs> Burn me! Anyway, wait, Thank wait, you, which? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just thinking of Grenade Man from Mega Man Eight when he explodes. He goes, "That felt good." Anyway, <laughs> I, I'm not touching that one. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Sorry, Travis. <laughs> but uh, well, which goes back to. Ag superized Catholic roots, which I think you know, because so because it's not typically something you see in a lot of other tokusatsu, but mm-hmm. power of friendship. So they figure out that because Jean Killer is a copy of Jean Bot, and Jean Bot is completely loyal to the princess, and her voice broke the control that Beatstar had over him, and it made Jean Killer pause. So they take her out and she basically appeals to his better nature as we said in the plot synopsis and they get him to switch sides after he weeps <laughs> weeping those robot, robot tears with the sparkles <laughs> I'm like I wish I could cry like that uh, I was just like okay I think the sparkles are a little much guys <laughs> I'm fine with you making him switch sides. The sparkle tears are probably a little much. You know, in in the last episode, when you asked me what I thought about the kind of like anime black and white kind of like stock going on whenever Jean Killer was stopping Ultraman Zero from doing his next move. Mm -hmm. And and I said, you know, the, the moment was much too high, too great for what we had been seeing up to that point. 
it's the same thing here. <laughs> <laughs> Way overboard. Yeah, it's just like it's one step too far. <laughs> one step. <laughs> A few steps, maybe. <laughs> power of friendship, it's, like I'm telling you. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, the power it's, of it's, love and friendship. The power it's like that uh, scene when they uh, did the Deadpool song with, uh, what's her name, singing Out of Ashes. And oh. Deadpool's like, you're operating at a 10. I need you to come down to like a 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, it bugs me that I can't remember her. Uh, Celine Dion. Celine Dion. Celine Dion. Yeah. yeah. She's like, yeah, you're a 10. You need to bring it down to like a five. This is Deadpool, not Titanic. <laughs> Deadpool 2, not Titanic. You're yeah. working at Titanic. We need you to come down to Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Basically. Basically, yeah. No, it's just, it's so, and I, 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 all I could think of was, you know, all the Terminator references we've been making, the fact that they're essentially fighting lobster Skynet. And, and <laughs> lobster skynet. I'm making that a meme anyway. <laughs> and I'm thinking of the end of Terminator 2. I know now why you cry, but it is something I can never do. I'm like, well, screw that for Ultraman. Here's John Killer. <laughs> absolutely shedding uh you know the matrix code from his eyeballs (laughs) i mean how could you not after a rousing speech from ultraman zero with lines like a heart is the fire that burns deep inside your chest it's the cry for life I mean, that's I mean, Aragorn levels working. of inspirational right there. Yeah, right? no, he's working on his inspirational speeches for Gide, clearly. But it's just... <laughs> whew. So, I mean, okay. We, we watch we watch tokusatsu and a lot of anime. They, they all love to do the power of friendship and, and love turning the tide in a, in a very unexpected manner. But... Oh, good grief. (laughs) (laughs) Weeping Robots, which also sounds like a band name. That sounds like an an emo punk band, the Weeping Robots. Weeping Robots. I'd listen to them. (laughs) I'd be down. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Good grief. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then it ends. So we have this overly dramatic (laughs) scene, and then it ends in true BA anime fashion where you think all the heroes are shooting at each other when they're just shooting a bunch of minions all all behind them. Mm-hmm. So now you know it's like, oh, he's on our side now. <laughs> well, and JR even said, I hope, I hope he just like lifts his hand and shoots them. <laughs> and he did. He lifted his hand and he, and he shot a missile. I'm like, how did you call that? <laughs> JR. Because he's out, too genre out. savvy at this point. <laughs> I see things. I know things. <laughs> it was good. And the thing is, like, I think Jr. You said you you wanted him to just lift his arm and shoot. Yes, the, I was. I was hoping. I was hoping, like, you know, because it was such a sappy moment. I was kind of hoping he would just be like, nah, and shoot the bad uh-huh. guys. I like shoot zero on all them. But oh. like when he lifted his hand and he shot all the robots, I was like, okay, that's pretty good. 
<laughs> I mean, split the difference. Yeah. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's kind of how it is. So it's like, sappy, sappy. that's how anime is too. It's like, sappy, 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 sappy. Awesome. Right. Gonna have to make that a meme too. It's like when we were discussing tip the other day. It's like, how, what do you leave for tip? You know, 10. Uh, what do you leave? Five. You know, let's call the difference and call it a seven. <laughs> 750. <laughs> You know, it's funny to me that before Emirana was starting to turn Jean Killer over to their side, he kept shooting her at her with his his laser eyes and missing because he couldn't bring himself to kill her, right? Mm-hmm. And when she had run over to get Jean Killer's attention, the zap cast was kind of left behind. And Ray was told to to stay back and let Princess Emirana do her thing. I was thinking the whole time, actually, wouldn't you want to stay close to her just to avoid the lasers? Because he has <laughs> not a care in the world if he fries you guys. It's her. <laughs> See, I was thinking, I was thinking something completely different. Unfortunately, he's very single-minded. <laughs> I... <laughs> See, I, I was thinking of something completely different. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I mean, Zero's I was, I was crushing yes. on her, so uh, why not? <laughs> I was thinking that scene from uh, Iron Man where Obadiah Stane is trying to shoot Tony with the oh, and the targeting computer is broke. My targeting system, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> nope. And then who was uh, it? Uh, I have know, this. John Killer's targeting system was out too. It was it was malfunctioning due to love. <laughs> Love does not compute. <laughs> so they almost kept in. No, that's not the Captain Kirk paradox, like in Star Trek. No, no, no but no. it does sound like a very Captain Kirkian way to defeat an evil robot. <laughs> Get it to think about love, and then it just shorts out. <laughs> ah, thinking about Jean Killer again, are you? At this time of night, you should be thinking about. Love. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to make another Star Trek connection, I, I'm trying to remember who said this, but somebody, I think it was somebody talking to Jean Killer who said, I have anticipated all your attacks. And then I just wrote down, Jean Killer, anticipate this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, like the kid on the playground where it's like, Oh, you have a crush on her. I do not. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. I'm going to cry now. <laughs> I'm going to cry the Matrix code. I don't know. No. I'm evil. Blah. You are the one Jean killer. <laughs> Jean Wick killer. Well, no, no, he's not the one. Remember, he's the nine because he becomes Jean nine by the end. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> I, I couldn't even... I'm okay. All right. All right. All right. JR. 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 You and me need to stand aside yes. and let Jack rant about the name Jean Nine. <laughs> Jean Luc Picard Nine is something. <laughs> Jean Nine Picard. <laughs> Jean uh, Nine Picard. <laughs> Jean Killer Picard. I, I don't. Jean Bot Picard. Picard. Jean Bot Picard was the evil Picard we never got. That was the one. <laughs> that was an alternate name for Locutus. 
<laughs> I, I, I am Jean Bart Picard. Resistance is futile. <laughs> Unless you show me how to love. <laughs> Unless you'll be my friend. See, this is what they didn't try in Best of Both Worlds. If Riker had just extended a, a, a speech about love and friendship... And how the heart. All you, all you really need to do is hold out your hand. Just hold out your hand. That was so. Wait. So. 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 What you're saying is, best of both worlds should have ended like this. Instead of Mr. Worf fire, it should have been Mr. Worf. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) No, you just need to go anime. Hold out your hand to play some sappy song. It'll work. And then all the Borg start weeping Matrix code. <laughs> that's all they needed to do with the Borg Queen. I mean, in first contact, contact. <laughs> Data just needed to make her feel loved. I mean, she was already trying to seduce him. She was just <laughs> sowing the seeds of her own destruction. All he needed to do was go through with that. <laughs> Nathan, you single-handedly Borg turned this queen. whole Ultraman episode into kind of an Ultraman Star Trek hybrid episode <laughs> for your token show. Or, I don't know what Travis is going to think by the time he listens. <laughs> well, he'll I live. I just have one question for you, Borg Queen. I just have one question for you, Borg Queen. Will you marry me? God. Anyway, you we need hey, to give all right, JR, JR, we need to give Jack a little bit of space so he can rant about the name Jean 9. There's mm. yeah, Take your time. Uh, here, take your time. You know, no, no, no. get it let it out. Let it out. Nate, here's all I'll say. Here's all I'll say. They should have listened to Glenfire. <laughs> <laughs> Remind just stuck with Glenfire. Yes. Let it, let it. The, everybody listen to Glenfire. <laughs> yeah, I guess he said it was a stupid name. <laughs> uh, well, there wasn't Ultraman Zero who said Glenfire's name was the stupid name. <laughs> I think it was that. I don't it we're we're done here. <laughs> I forget, we're did any of these characters come back after this? The ultimate force zero, because I don't know if they did. I feel like there's one more short or mini series of some sort that had the ultimate force zero in it. I could be wrong, but I'll tell you who didn't come back. Zap didn't come back after this. Oh, yeah, we uh, we talked about that already. And I bring that, that up was... because, <sighs> okay, so we got a sort of superfluous cameo from Seven, the OG Ultraman, and Zafi, who just show up and they do uh, they do their pinwheel uh, blast. <laughs> okay, that was, that was funny. But I would argue that had more weight to it than even the Zappy cast. Yeah, but so they just show up like we're gonna give you some time. So then they do they pull that move out of nowhere, and yeah. then at the end they do some serious sequel baiting. And I would think if this was meant to be a tie-in to Ultraman Saga, oh, it's setting up Ultraman Saga. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not even really sequel baiting. It's just a, well, there's still evil in the universe and we must defeat it. So go and do it. That was really all it was. 
it's really just a general kind of, you know, Ultraman <laughs> Zero will return, right? And and I would argue that their appearance in this worked because it was so short. It really was sold as nothing more than a cameo. And I, I, I buy it because they're out there trying to defend, protect the universe and protect the planets. Of course, they want to show up and try to stop it. Mm-hmm. That made sense. That made sense in the grand scheme of what has been established. If you pull in the cast of Zap into this, you should use them. They should be more yeah. than these kind of cardboard cutouts standing behind Emirana doing her her love wins all speech. Love conquers all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, although I wish they had done a little bit more with the fact that one of them was seven and Zero's dad. So, like, uh, you know, I don't know, just a little bit more of an acknowledgement. It's like, yeah, that's my son or something. <laughs> that's my boy. That's my attaboy. <laughs> because at some point, Zero did acknowledge, he, he said, you know, oh, dad. And I think it was Seven that got the last word in appropriately because he is Zero's father. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, I think I was fine with that. I think everything with the original Ultras worked. But that's such a small aspect of a a vast story that I just don't think didn't work. So, no, it goes like I said, it gets a little bit goofy. I mean, it, cheesy is almost an, not the right word here because all of the ultra most Ultraman stuff is has at least a little bit of cheese in it. But this one, it was you poured it on a little thick there, guys. Just mm. a little thick. <laughs> And again, it's, it's. I like my thir- syrup thick. It, <laughs> you like that sap? <laughs> it's just unfortunate because I think the talent was there. Coming off of uh, Revenge of Belial, I was really excited to rewatch this because I, I was thinking, well, 10 years ago, maybe I misjudged this thing and I finish it and I go, well, maybe I didn't. Yeah, so. I feel like the building blocks are there. There's some really interesting ideas. Beatstar is. I would say Beatstar's a pretty cool villain. Uh, there's some points where it's got some really good atmosphere, some a unique music for the soundtrack, because I'm not used to jazz in my <laughs> Ultraman. But it ranged you know. from awful to oddly really enjoyable. I, I don't <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the keyboard stuff needed to go, but the stuff when the saxophone came in, I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, like I said, there's a lot of stuff in here to like, but it then there's some just weird stuff that gets thrown in there, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, guys. <laughs> just didn't work. Yeah. It doesn't it's hold so together fun. quite as well as Dark Lops. No. No, no Dark Lops. No, it doesn't hold a candle to Dark Lops. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, we walked away from the Dark Lops special be, uh, saying, I was like, this is a direct-to-video thing? This is incredibly cinematic <laughs> and i do right. think there this had its cinematic moments but it also felt despite the huge stakes well, that they try to give it it does feel a little bit more like just a disposable side story mm-hmm. yeah it, it's well, like it's I a remember. disposable side story with a lot of cinematic stuff thrown in it so it's this weird hybrid <laughs> Well, I remember when we were talking Dark Clops Zero, we were like, oh, so many moments I wish I could have as a background drop. And now I'm just like this one. I kind of wish I would forget. 
I I'm gonna have to agree. There, there's no shots that really kind of stick out to me like Darklops did. And I, you know, it, it's a shame we're getting to the point where we have to play the comparison game in this discussion. But it's worth noting, Darklops was also a two-episode special and blew the doors off my expectations. I mean, it was following up Ultra Galaxy, one of the biggest Ultraman movies produced by Tsuburaya. You know, the Avengers of and Ultraman it, movies. Yeah, and it held up. It absolutely held up. And then, it, you know, we get we get Revenge of Belial, and then that, I think, is... It, th- this could be debated, but I'm going to say Revenge of Belial was stronger than Ultra Galaxy, the movie. I can and understand why you would say that. Yeah, and, and but the, the point is we get three stories right in a row that were just at the top of their game, and then this comes along. And it just feels like, well, I guess you can't win them all. <laughs> uh, basically. Basically. Um, it, it's, it had a lot to follow up, which is unfortunate, but even on its own, it doesn't really live up to the ideas it's putting forth. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's a reasonable assessment. It's a very reasonable assessment. I think I liked it a bit more than you guys did, but mm. having talked it over, I'm like, yeah, this isn't as good as the dark Clops special. And I think <laughs> after I watched it the first time, I still like, there's some really cool stuff in this, but I feel like it's missing something. Like it wasn't quite there. And mm-hmm. I think talking it over with you guys, I'm like, yeah, I think I understand now. And it was now when I first watched, it, I was like, okay, the sappy stuff is bringing it down. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I felt like there were other things that were missing for sure. I mean, even like I, I mentioned that there was talk about sin and forgiveness with Jean-Bot, because yeah. when you get to the end and Jean-Bot says, okay, princess, don't take this the wrong way, JR, but you know, I will take whatever punishment that you want to give me for nearly killing you. And he says, okay, your punishment is you have to mentor Jean-9, your brother, quote-unquote mm-hmm. brother. Well, like I said, there's lip service given to that, but they don't spend a whole lot of time talking about it. Now, initially, it's because they're like, we have a planet to save and almost no time to do it. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. but... Yeah, plays around with stuff, doesn't necessarily follow through with it. Yeah, I think that's also an accurate assessment. Yeah, but I will say this one last thing before we move on to the awards. Zero wiping his non-existent nose like he's Bruce Lee never gets old. (laughs) 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 With his thumb. (laughs) I love that's that's a thing that just goes over all the way over to Jasheed. Like he's constantly doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, clearly, uh, clearly yeah. he's a Bruce Lee fan. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't even been to Earth yet. Where do you fi- find these videos? Uh, oh, he got beamed out into space someplace. Historical documents, G. <laughs> historical documents. You haven't seen Bruce Lee films unless you've seen it in the original Ultra Man. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly want an ultra uh, an Ultraman Zero dub of Enter the Dragon, <laughs> or so I want someone to take Bruce Lee and dub over Ultraman Zero. That'd be great. Anyway, moving on to the I'm awards. Zero. <laughs> uh, ultraman Zero doing the Bruce Lee scream would just be epic. <laughs> Ooh! I, I just I just want to see. Uh, 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 gosh, why can't I think of it? He just said his name, Bruce Lee. I just want to see Bruce Lee now saying, I am Zero, Ultraman Zero. 
Uh, anyway, moving on to the awards, starting with the Henshin Kick for the best stunt or fight scene. I will let you gentlemen go first as the guest. All right, so I guess that's me. The Henshin Kick. You know, I, I've made it pretty clear I wasn't particularly impressed with the fights or stunts. This is not the ultra story to watch if you want an excellent example of that. But there was a particular stunt that stood out to me just for, for sheer concern for the ace killer suit actor. And it's after Glenfire does his signature move. It's not, it's not technically a suplex. I think, I think it's a pile driver, which I don't know if I can say that word on your show, Nathan, but you can (laughs) anyway, I've already said it. So (laughs) After being driven into the ground headfirst, the weight from Ace Killer's legs sort of bent him a little too... The actor was either yeah, quite yeah, flexible yeah, yeah. or he's dead. And <laughs> I, <laughs> or it's an empty suit. <laughs> I, it was not empty, no. <laughs> I, I injured my back a month ago, so maybe I'm just very hypersensitive to this now, but I, it, it looked like a chiropractor's favorite nightmare. <laughs> so I don't know. It, that's that's my Henshin back brace or, or girdle. Ace killer gets up and says, my back, my back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've got a lower back problem too? Anyway, moving on. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I get that from up, swinging. When he, when he stood up and, and exploded, I, I just thought, man, that looked a lot less painful than what you how you just bent. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he, finally, he finally got the relief from that pain. <laughs> yeah, I'd explode too. <laughs> what about you, JR? Uh, mine was definitely the same because okay. when that happened, G and I both just like leaned back and went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, dude, that just looked like it hurt. Uh, I didn't realize that you were, you were taking back by that as well no pun intended <laughs> yeah no, I like, oh my god because i have back problems too so i saw that i was like, oh god <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of painful we've already talked about it a little bit mine went to the ultra oscillation wave to the crotch <laughs> Because oh, yeah. Gomera, because I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, for all the time, as much as we're saying that the Zap characters are superfluous, we do get some Gomera and Litra action in this. Mm-hmm. And Gomera runs right up to one of the robots, gores the robot in the crotch with his horn, does his signature move, Ultra Oscillation Wave, into the crotch, and then flips the robot over his back. <laughs> I think he's dead (laughs) it's like that simpsons meme you know it's like stop it stop it he's dead already (laughs) Uh, i'm probably reading too much into it but still (laughs) i i mean i guess i it didn't hit me that he nailed him in the crotch Also, no pun intended. No, I, 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 it definitely occurred to me. I, I, I guess I misread that scene when I watched it. I, I thought he just him in the lower stomach or something. But no, it was it, maybe that was the intention, but it was perilously close to the crotchal area. Fair. <laughs> that was definitely a groin shot, uh, at the very least. 
<laughs> anyway, now on to Takatoku, the best special effect, although it sounds like neither of you are terribly impressed. But <laughs> I had one, but then I changed it, so I'll bring it up as a runner-up, even though I don't know how much you... I don't know if you guys would have liked this or not, but what did you guys have? So when I was doing the homework and I was watching um, Revenge of Belial, I was very taken with Glenfire. So, like, I was, I was very pleasantly surprised to see him here. And I, I love the Glenfire suit. I love the special effects of him, like, running his fingers through his hair and the, it fires on. I just, I like that suit. And I want to give props to that because Glenfire is awesome. <laughs> I can agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm. Yeah, there wasn't a lot here. Okay, my favorite effect shot. Um, there's 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 a shot in the first three and a half minutes of the first episode that shows the interior of the Zap space station, and it's a tracking shot of overhead miniatures with you know little miniature people and catwalks, cranes, chains, spaceships, and I I love interior miniatures anyway but also consider they didn't do this when we saw the interior of the zap space station in the show it was all kind of green screened cgi compositing mess and it didn't look half as good as this so yeah that's my favorite shot (laughs) (laughs) i mean the miniatures aren't even that impressive but it, it it sticks out yeah than the rest yeah mine goes to the beat star suit i do really like the suit i like the implementation of it i like the design so that's where mine is going i my original one before i changed it during our discussion was i actually was pleasantly surprised by the green screen cgi sequence that we got right at the beginning when all the heroes are flying around the sphere Mm -hmm. yeah that's another one i thought they kind of hung on to it a little too long, but perhaps I, I did like the effect. I did. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a solid because mm-hmm. yeah. it was, that was at a point where they were trying to figure out how they could use CGI and green screen to allow them to do more things. I know I complained before I've complained before about the mega monster battle, the movie, mm-hmm. you know, overdoing it with the green screen, but at the same time, the green screen allows them to realize these science fiction vistas that would have been very difficult to do otherwise, if not impossible. Right. Right. So I get, I got to give them credit for, uh, you know, for using CGI fairly well as your opening shot. It's a good way to begin. And now for coming at you, the best line, which again, sounds like you guys weren't too impressed. Although what's funny is all the talk (laughs) about sluggishness plays into my award (laughs) for this one. All right. Do you want to hear that one first, or you guys want yeah. to go? Yeah, let's go. It, go, it comes from Mirror yeah. Knight, because po- Mirror Knight needs a little bit more love, and he literally tells the robot that he defeat. I forget which one, he, uh, which one he beat, but after he defeats it, he says, your movements are sluggish. You might consider losing some weight. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like line. Mirror Knight knows what you're thinking, Jay, uh, Jack. <laughs> There we go. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you, Mary. Oh God, the movie's self-aware. Man, that's really meta. <laughs> Jared, what was your line? 
So I was going to uh, say the zero line of I'm about to go open up a black hole. On I'm this about guy. to go black. Uh, I'm about to black hole this guy. <laughs> it makes yeah, no yeah. sense. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. But I bet that's a line uh, that must sound a heck of a lot better in Japanese. Maybe it makes more sense in Japanese. Maybe. But uh, because I was so enamored by uh, Glenn Fire, I'm going to pick <laughs> any time he calls anybody fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a gag he started in Revenge of Belial. Belial, yeah. Right. Well, where are those fried chickens? <laughs> it's just, it turns to Mir- Miranite. Man, you got you to gotta start being more sparkly and more active, fried chicken. <laughs> He's got quite the mouth on him. He's like the he's like he Kano is. from the new Mortal Kombat. <laughs> well, you know who he reminds me of? My favorite character in Dragon Ball Z is Gotenks. And just how he's so cocky. So I love that. I love the cockiness of Glenfire. Yeah, well, the thing that's nice about Glenfire is that, yeah, he's cocky, but he also knows when to stop and be like, oh, crap, we yeah. need to take this seriously. Or he gets shown up a little bit. Yeah, which oh, yeah, is the, like uh, when he's when he's like uh, headbutting the dude one, two, <laughs> three, and then like after the fight's over, he's like, "Oh God, my head!" <laughs> yeah, or when he's like, "Oh," he tries to play with his fi- with his hair, and is like, "What? Where's my fire? Where's my fire? Yeah. Oh, this stupid mist! Ah, my fire!" <laughs> yeah, no. So anything that came out of Glenfire's mouth was just pure joy for me. <laughs> All right, Jack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. There weren't really any lines that you could rattle off in this show without the need for context, right? And and that's a problem for me. When you when you have when you have to vividly explain to someone what is meant to be a great line in the context of a story, it doesn't always have a great effect. Eh, the sluggish and, line works without context. <laughs> okay, yeah, the sluggish line does work. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But I don't know, there, there were two that I was wrestling with, and I think I'm going to go with Beatstar's final line, which was, I was afraid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we kind of brushed on this a little bit. I don't, again, I don't think the story earns this moment. I do think the realization that one's fear, however, was was the reason so many lives were taken is something we can relate back to in our reality. Uh, you know, how many horrible atrocities have been committed because so many were afraid to admit they were scared of something, of change, of being left behind, of... It was one of the strong moments in this particular short. It's Star Trek Six, opinion. right? I mean, might as well right. bring up more Star Trek at this right. rate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you want to do with this episode. <laughs> Beat Star was afraid of the undiscovered country. Country, right, yep. <laughs> <laughs> As a bonus, my other line was from Linfire to Jean Bot. Any other siblings? <laughs> <laughs> like and said, are any of them that came out of his mouth? Yeah, right. <laughs> the only thing that would have made that better is if he had said, "And are any of them sisters?" <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is he says that line while we're seeing all the Ultimate Zero cast kind of argue through through uh, Terminator vision, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're they're spending time here, like all all wowed by the fact that Jean Bot has a brother, 
while you know you know death eyes are glaring at them. So it's it's. <laughs> I could kill you all right now. <laughs> right now, right? <laughs> and perhaps I should. <laughs> Did you see the crap that we just went through? <laughs> this is the first step toward ruining the franchise. <laughs> I'm kidding, totally kidding. Threat right? level. We're not at Ginga Threat yet. level minimum. <laughs> anyway, now for WTH, what the henshin uh, for the craziest moment. <laughs> no, I'm taking this first. Here we go. All right. Jean Killer crying the Matrix code. <laughs> <laughs> again i know we enjoy a franchise multiple franchises where the power of friendship and love overcome the most unlikely of situations but jesus h chrysler building he's crying <laughs> they're crying everyone is crying but me it was at this point i was ready to throw uh uh rocky under the bus completely you know, I had another candidate, but I might have to just go with that one and I'll just bring mine up as a runner up because yeah, <laughs> the weeping robot, <laughs> the weeping robot. Do you have the weeping robot, JR? <laughs> I have the scene after the weeping robot. Okay. What was and yours? What, was uh, what, what for you top the weeping uh, robot? <laughs> after the weeping robot. Gee, I hope he kills everybody. <laughs> essentially, he did. Not the people I was hoping he was the wrong everybody. Yeah, no. That's <laughs> so the moment right after the weeping robot. <laughs> weeping robot, you have a lot to consider. You've opened my eyes. Nah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, mine has to be the weeping robot. My runner-up is Gomera at the beach. <laughs> oh, that's good though. That is that was... okay. Maybe the highlight from the first half. <laughs> <laughs> I was saving it for the awards, but I'm because it's this random thing where they're like. Hey, we're going to go on shortly. We're going to Ryza. Oh, and we're going to take the monsters with us too. So they have this. Not flashback, but this hypothetical situation where Ray is like, "Oh, I know what I'm gonna do," and there, and it's him and Hugo on the beach, and then the camera pans out, and there's Gomera, Gomera on the on the just playing, <laughs> playing in the water in one of the fakest looking blue screens I have ever seen oh, with a suitmation suit. <laughs> Actually, I have a question about that scene. What were Ray and Boss trying to do? Was that some kind of like knockoff fusion dance or something? <laughs> See, I wasn't even, I didn't even notice Ray and Boss. I was too busy looking at the CG Vista that was uh, not exactly up to par with Dune. <laughs> the new Dune? Yeah. <laughs> No, same level. <laughs> <laughs> Except they had water. Anyway, <laughs> and with that, uh, uh, despite how long that this episode's already gone, it's time for a minute to head shit it. And this, we will give our final thoughts in one minute or less. Would it be better to just make it a one-minute conversation, gentlemen, or do we each want a minute. 
I, you know, you might be safe with a one minute conversation. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll do it that way. One minute okay. conversation. We'll do it power trip style. Wait, That's what all, we do on the power trip. Are we going at the same time? Yeah. That's what I mean. We'll do a power trip style. <laughs> one minute final conversation <laughs> for your final thoughts. Are you ready? <laughs> Are you ready? Okay, yeah, here we go. Do yeah, this. We're let's doing do it. This. We're doing it. So, step down, obviously. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Yes. <laughs> uh, Major step down. Wonderful ideas. A premise I think I could have liked, uh, but a massive downgrade of visuals, especially from Revenge of Belial and Dark Clop Zero. Uh, and it makes me sad uh, that this is Zap's send-off their inclusion was unnecessary and it's also disappointing coming from Yuichi Abe who I praise largely for Nexus. Yeah, I, I know, agree with you there. It's not one of my favorites because I still consider myself a newcomer to Ultraman. I would not recommend this to anybody, honestly. Wow. Uh, <laughs> there's worse out there. Yeah. I mean, I still haven't seen everything, but as of okay. me right now, I would not recommend this. And time. <laughs> that was a worthy experiment. <laughs> uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, thank you for joining me on that segment that I stole from you guys. But <laughs> Yeah, we know, I, I noticed, actually. I, I've been meaning to... Uh, talk to you about that Nathan. been seeing a lot of fanboy 50s lately on multiple podcasts so when do we you started our, a trend uh, so when do we get our residual check you so can't copy why i tell jr that we actually didn't copyright the idea <laughs> you can't copyright a structure that would be like shakespeare trying to copyright the five act pl play structure at which point he would have died a very very rich man you have not heard Shakespeare until you've heard it in the original Ultraman. We've already made that joke. And now, thank you for listening to the Henshin Men, a Tokusatsu Appreciation Podcast. You can find links to all of our social media in the description of this episode. You can listen to more of Travis on Kaiju Weekly and listen to more of me on the Monster Island Film Vault and The Power Trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise. And where can our listeners hear you guys? So I'm G. You can find me on Twitter at GManMysteroid, and you can find my substat called Deferential Wrath of Arresting Markalite Cannon. I'm JR. You like what I've been saying? You can find me over on Instagram at littleman underscore says one. And I have the Instagram uh, where I do cosplays. You can also... Check out us on the Drift Space on all your favorite podcasters. And, uh, yes, I was going to say, make sure you listen to the Drift Space, which is a fine, fine podcast. And you guys are doing a little bit of Ultraman coverage on occasion on there as well. We so do. relevant we to do, your uh, interests. <laughs> and you've talked some Power Rangers as well, much to my Power Trip co-host chagrin because you dared praise the 2017 Power Rangers movie. <laughs> anyway, if you found some enjoyment from this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on Podchaser. And just to let everybody know, Henshin Men is a proud member of the Kaiju Ramen Media Network. 
And until next time, what are we going to say, JR? Never underestimate Ultraman Zero when he opens up a hinging can of whoop ass. I love it. I'm, to- uh, I'm totally leaving that in. <laughs> <laughs>